when we've done that in the past, everyone's like, yeah, it always feels so cheesy, and then you do it, and I can't not cry, and people start tearing up. It's just a cool moment to be able to say it. So thanks again, y'all. Um, well, I'm glad that y'all are here. My name is Eric, if I forgot to say that earlier. Um, one of the pastors here on staff, and I'll be preaching to you this morning. It's been a good morning. Kind of God is filling us up with um, what, what, whatever his spirit might have. Every, every time we come together on um, on Sunday, our group, whoever is volunteering that morning, comes together and we pray, and we turn it over to God. They're like, God, these are the things we've prepared. These are the things um, that we have decided that, that we think your Holy Spirit is saying to preach on and to, um, uh, and to sing this morning. And then we say, Holy Spirit, if you have a different plan, then feel free to bring us along in that plan. Um, and so as we come today, I just want to um, come knowing that I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something in the midst of us this morning. And so um, as I was praying, as the, the band was leading, um, just this idea of ears to hear and eyes to see over and over this prayer, ears to hear, eyes to see. So would you come in this morning with ears to hear and eyes to see? Um, one, one quick thing I also wanted to mention, some of, many of you know, is Rico in here right now? I don't think he's here today. Um, the Cologne Romero family, uh, Rico and Jill and their, their um, daughters, uh, um, Rico's name is Emmanuel, but uh, he's kind of affectionately taken on the nickname Rico because he's from Puerto Rico, and we've led some trips down there, short-term missions to do some things. Obviously, Puerto Rico got hit pretty hard, and so there's some conversations in there of just where we might be able to help out in different areas um, as a response to that. Uh, but also, he is um, in the midst of raising support for his sister who is fighting breast cancer. Um, so we've been trying to spread those things around on social media. One of the things he's asked of us is if we, he's hosting a um, kickball tournament, and as a group, Common Ground could come to be a part, a team in the kickball tournament. It's co-ed, it's a lot of fun. There's probably four different sports that you could join in, but he said if we could get a kickball team from Common Ground Northeast, that would be awesome. So if anyone is interested in doing that, please connect with him. Um, we'd love to have a group out there. You can, of course, donate and do some other things um, uh, directly to him as they're trying to raise support. Um, but if we uh, had the opportunity just to support one of our own through that, we would love to do so in this time. Um, okay, so, so um, today, the, let me do just this mini little recap and we'll jump in. Today, in some ways, is very straightforward in the teaching that I have um, for us today. Uh, I wanted to say, um, you know, a, as we uh, celebrated last week, we had a picnic last week. Thanks to all of you who came. Thanks to those who came early and picked up, uh, or set up and picked up on the other side. The weather worked out. It was a little windy and it knocked over some things. We also got to see partnerships from all kinds of different people. There is the reach of the, the missional capacity of this church is way deeper than I think many of us realized. And so how many connections we have. Um, but what I wanted to do was to um, say thank you for those who brought food, for those who helped prep tables and got things organized behind the scenes. Um, and, and now I'm gonna transition that real smoothly into the introduction, picnics and potlucks and pitch-ins were one of my favorite things as a college student. Am I the only one who lived in that post-high school world and thought, man, when church has a potluck or a pitch-in or whichever way you wanna call that, that was like the best day of the week and I could bring all of my friends to whatever church I was a part of on that day. And so what happened um, in, in our house, I was uh, an RA and I had a couple, three or four guys that lived with me. And it would be the day that they're all down to come to whatever church I was helping out at. Because I also worked for a church during that time. And what would happen is 
um, what, what we would do is we would get the guys who, who live with me, we would come and like used to set up the tables and all that stuff. There was a lot of older folks in this um, particular church, um, not many young families, and so it was like some older, uh, an older generation and then a younger group of people that were coming with me because I was a college student, and then we, I had a youth ministry there, and so a lot of the youth would be a part of it. So in this church, there was about four or five senior women who called themselves the grannies. And that was like a badge, like they had this and they would do things like, hey, we have a granny meeting tonight and they would come together and scheme up ideas of things that they could do for people. They would knit all the time, knitting things for people who are on the, on the streets. But potluck was, was like the day for them to shine. It was the day that the grannies came and they were like, hey, Eric, you're going to bring some people. And I would tell them, yeah, I think I'm going to have some, some guys from, from the dorm. Some of the ladies are going to come out to this one. And they're like, challenge accepted. There's no way you were going to out eat whatever the grannies could put together. So there's casseroles, there's crock pot meals, mac and cheese, desserts. This is where I learned what chicken, bu- buffalo chicken dip was. Never heard of that before. And that was where I got introduced to it. In fact, here, let's just real quick, a little participatory moment in the day. What's your favorite thing when you are at a pitch-in, when you're at a potluck and you come across this dish inside your head, you're like, yes, thank you whoever brought this. What's the one dish? Deviled eggs. Potato salad. We had this debate, mustard-based or mayonnaise-based, any kind of potato salad. All right, all right. Who else? Chicken and the hot sauce, man. All right, I'll get that hot sauce. Mac and cheese is always a fan favorite. Anyone else? Mashed potatoes. All right, all right. So, so think about it. It's like having this mini Thanksgiving scattered throughout the year for this group of guys in the dorms, and they would be all about it. After it was all over, guess who got to take home all the leftovers too? It, I mean, best, I'm telling you, whenever there was a potluck, it was the best day of the week for us, for the month probably. And what could be better for a bunch of hungry, poor, right, college students than home-cooked meals being collected, offered up by grannies in this small church um, as we ate for the next two weeks probably on it. Um, and one of the things that I keep thinking of as I look back on that I, I just hadn't thought of before is um, there was a couple ways in which we did it, but for the most part, all of those students came and they didn't bring any food with them. So the grannies like were glad. They were, they were like, oh, this, is, this is our time to shine, we got you. Like I will be your substitute mom or grandmother in this moment. But as I looked at this situation, I remember thinking back, like every once in a while we bring like a bag of Oreos. Or, but who's taking the Oreos when there's home cooked, you know, chocolate chip cookies right next to it? So you come by and pick those Oreos right back up and take them back home, right? And they, they, then I started thinking through like, how, how interesting is it that on these occasions we would constantly come and the only thing we would do is consume of this potluck without contribution, right? They were excited. They got people together. They never complained about it, right? You can make all the different, like, like they're college students. They barely have any income. But for the most part, this whole relationship is they would come on these certain days. They would take with little contribution and never actually participate in pitching in at the pitch-in, right? And so ultimately, that's not how communities are meant to be built. And I, I kind of regretted it a little bit, although, um, you know, the, we were the ones benefiting off of this as a young um, group of guys. But this is not the way that the kingdom is meant to operate on a regular basis. Maybe it's okay to start there, 
But eventually, once you grow up, right, like you gotta be a part of pitching in, of contribution to the cause of the potluck in that situation. And so as we think about what it means to belong inside of a community, I wanna use this example throughout. At what point does it make sense that contribution is a part of belonging to a group? So, so this is what I want you to hear. Like, if today's your first day at Common Ground Northeast, if this is your first month, if you're just starting your journey with us, you're a guest in our house. There is absolutely no, we're, we're gonna open up for a response time. There'll be a tithes and offerings, you know, moment like, hey, if you wanna tithe, you can do it during that time. There will be things that we might do here. You might show up on a day that we have a picnic and oh, darn it, maybe I should run, should I run to Kroger? Should I not run to Kroger? The answer is no, you're a guest in our house. There's no, in any way, shape or form, there's no reason in which you should feel like there's an expectation that you would contribute to that in that situation. You come, just take part. Be with us for that time. But if you decide that this place is your home, then you're saying, I want to be a part of the family. And so if you're a part of my family, right, there's chores and things that are expected of you inside of our house. If you're living inside of our house, eventually you gotta jump in and do the dishes from time to time. You gotta take out the trash. You gotta jump into that lawn rotation every once in a while, chip in for groceries. If you're living at my house for months at a time, now you're just kind of part of the family. For a while you're the guest, but eventually there's a transition and it's weird if you're not contributing to the family. Does that make sense? And so, why does that happen? It's not even like a sign on the dotted line after two and a half months, exactly, four, eight, six, okay, 12 weeks and this many days is when your contribution moment starts, right? I, I want you to sign here that here is your guest period, but your trial period is up and now the alarm goes off and it is time to contribute. See how legalistic that would be. It's just a social understanding that we get that after a while, you know, it makes sense that I'm just part of the family and I switch from being the consumer only mentality into becoming a contributor to whatever is going on. That's just how families operate. That's just kind of the social understanding that we have. And that could be chores, it could be finances, it could be anything involving the ongoing life of a household. So we read about this functionally, very specifically, in the first century church. And so I want us to open up to Acts chapter 2. Um, we keep referring to this over the last few weeks because it's, it's a source material for how the community of the early believers um, operated. Um, I want to use this as a springboard and then we'll come back out of it and move into a different direction. But Acts 2, 44 through 47, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's like a potluck every day. Like, this is great, right? This is a good situation. Um, as they belonged together, their belongings belonged to each other. Do you see how that happened in there? They, the things that they owned and the things they possessed, the possessions and proceeds, eventually went towards caring for what? Well, whatever mission God had put in front of them. 
So sometimes that was caring for people that didn't have something. That may have looked like other things at other times. There was different reasons that they would gather their uh, things together. And, and I want to recognize, obviously, our economy works differently now than it did during that time. But I want us to note that all of them were participants and contributors. Each person showed a sense of owning the mission. Each person had a sense of participating in that mission and accomplishing it together. That wasn't something I agreed somebody should do. That's something that I owned and had partnership in making sure happened with my life. It wasn't just their financial contributions, right? I know kind of the, I didn't grow up in this era. I've been wrestling actually a lot over this last week because um, by the time I entered into church, uh, it was, you know, there, there's a season where it seemed like in the church that, that people are like, all they ever do is ask for people's money. If I show up, I got to bring my wallet, right? Does, it, does anyone have that in their background? <laughs> by a raise of hands or amens? I mean, I, I don't really know, right, how to do that. But by the time I came in, I feel like I had a completely different experience. All the pastors I knew were afraid to talk about money because they didn't want to be known as the kind of church that always talked about money. And so there's a pendulum swing that I'm watching, and I don't know which one of them you come from. Do you have a background where the church always talked about money or maybe avoided it? And, and, um, and then uh, one of the things that God talks about the most, we were afraid to talk about. And so here, here this is what I want to do. I, I'm not going to talk specifically, but I'm not excluding finances. Time, talent, and treasure, right? It's a cliche phrase, but it pretty much sums up very well the kind of contributions we have at our disposal. So this is what Peter says. Not just financial, but other things. First Peter 4 8 through 11 says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice that Peter starts with love. And then he urges them beyond just simple forms of love. I, I hadn't thought of it when I first read it, but someone, uh, a commentary said it's like a progression that takes place. So he's getting them like, I want you to move beyond forgiveness. Love, you should be forgiving each other, of course, but beyond forgiveness, I want you to move into hospitality. And then beyond hospitality, I want you to take the gifts that you've been given, offer them back up so that it serves others faithfully administering God's grace through the various forms that God has given. And so we are to see that loving one another enables us, quite simply at times, just to put up with one another, Right? That's true, but we gotta get past that. It instigates a kind of hospitality in us, one that maybe we would show beyond what we would show just to anyone or any stranger. And then it means using your gifts to help other people. And so we offer up what we have beyond our finances, but something that is of ourselves, something that is of our personality, something that is, that is a, a gift or a talent that God has put deep within you. So think about, we've had a lot of conversations about spiritual gifts because we did a series a while back that focused on um, the more uh, revelatory gifts. But think of all the possibilities for the gifts that you might have in your life. We've urged people, hey, find a, a spiritual gifts assessment online and take it. They're helpful. I know at least one of our house churches um, has, uh, has been doing that, having conversations about gifts, um, and then having the community talk back and forth about where they can use it. Think about the things you specialize in, 
right? We, could, we have the spiritual gifts, but then you all um, maybe have a profession or some sort of education in a certain area that is uh, a way in which you are able to offer up that expertise to the group of people that you commune with on a regular basis. And so here's what I want to do. I want to I encourage us this. Uh, in our, in our disciple, the, the group that's going through discipleship now, this is a little bit of a heads up, in the next couple weeks we'll be doing this together. In our discipleship format that we just introduced, we go through a point where we, we look through your, your passions and um, the things that drive you. What is God doing in your life? How has he wired you so that you operate out of something that is in kind of your wheelhouse and it becomes a joy to give in uh, to the community of believers. So think about what are your passions, right? So we have spiritual gifts. Now I want to kind of move to a different bucket. What are the passions, the things that excite you, the things that motivate you and cause you to want to move, right? Do you love praying over people? Then join our prayer team. Do you love music? Then join our, our worship team. Do you like being a part of hospitality? Then join this team. But, but think outside of these walls. Maybe you're a financer, and there are people who need help getting their finances right so that they can operate the way God has intended them. Some of you have a, a, a passion for golf. And uh, we were just talking here at the men's group yesterday how one of the pastors that someone knew, he would counsel men about their marriages by saying, hey, let's go hit some balls tomorrow. We're going to uh, start at this time. And as they were going from hole to hole, he would have conversations strategically about how things are going on in their life. And so he used it as a discipleship tool. So what are the things that excite you? What are your hobbies, ways in which you can engage with people in, uh, 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 in, in something that would be a natural, and dr- a natural drive inside of you to want to do? The next thing that people will often point to is pain points. What are things that bother you to the extent that you have to do something about it? What is it that you see on the news that says in your heart, in your mind, that should not happen to people? I have to step in and do something about that. So you think about your passions, but you think about your pain points. Where do you see a need that bothers you to the extent that you get angry enough or sad enough that out of that anger or sadness, it moves you to action and to help others? Um, One great uh, example of this is Elder Jenny. Um, Over COVID, she thought... um, I, I know on the other side of this, there's going to be a lot of people who need help because this will be uh, a point of trauma for many people. So she went and got certified to do a trauma healing class for us. And so if you want to partake in that, talk to Jenny Fernsler, but she saw something in her that said, I need to do something about this. There's going to be a need on the other side of this that needs to be addressed, and I'm going to make sure I am equipped to address that need when it happens. So you see these things kind of come up, but what what is it? I've given you examples. What is it for you? What is the passion that drives you? What is the pain point that causes you to want to jump in and help others? So go through this discovery process. I want to invite you into the discipleship class. We'll do the next one about the second or third week of January. It'll kick off, and we'll do seven weeks together, and it'll be a part of that. But what causes you to figure out, God, how did you wire me How can I discover that? I want to kindle the fire, let that burn inside of you so that it causes you to want to do something about that. And then bring that into the community of believers at the local church. How can you contribute that to what it is? And and this is what I really want you to see because if you serve out of those things, you're going to be excited to serve. It's not like someone's always twisting your arm. We give out a sacrifice at times. 
but sometimes you give out of joy because this is what I love doing and this is something I can contribute to the community of believers. The NIV study Bible said this. I thought it was a worthwhile enough quote Um, because it was just an interesting perspective. It says, whatever Christians are gifted to do, those gifts are to be exercised in such a way that they reflect their divine origin and purposes. So if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so it's interpreting that kind of through the idea of discovering what is it that is God's divine origin for you. Maybe you can't stand it when inequity takes place around you and you have to speak up. Maybe there's something inside of you that says it's not okay. Whatever, whatever environmental issue maybe you want to pick up and you're like, we're going to kill every straw on this planet and make sure that things get right again. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there's a drive behind that that contributes to the common good that is something that you can be uh, digging deep from within because God has created and wired you a certain way through spiritual gifts, talents, and things that he has given you. So I wanna invite you into a discovery process for that. When you do it like this, it brings joy, it brings satisfaction, it kind of scratches an itch in you that you've gotta do something, and it's earthly good to others as it builds the kingdom of God, and it overlaps in all of these different areas so that it becomes something that is more than just doing something fun. Sharing through this contribution of your gifts and your talents is also part of what it's meant um, to feel like you have a sense of belonging to one another. When you can meet a need in someone else and they can meet a need in you, there's, a, there's something that takes place. There's a communal instance there where you belong to one another beyond just consuming, coming and, and, and you know, watching, taking in um, whatever happens as people lead and we preach up here, maybe come to uh, one of our picnics. And, and, and like I said, there's a season for that, but it's not belonging until you start to interact in a way where there's this reciprocal um, interaction with one another based on the things that God has given you and the way he has wired you to live so that you feel a sense of belonging. There's something about taking ownership of the life through community that um, uh, makes you, uh, through that contribution, whole, where you bear each other's burdens, you take on the community's mission and calling towards the kingdom. And so it's possible, oh, wow, so I wasn't planning this, but we were talking about this earlier this week. It's possible that this community is missing something because you haven't given your gift to them. And we were praying that for someone else earlier this week, that maybe the community they're about to go to is missing something, and they need this person to go there in order that that hole would be filled. So what hole is it that needs to be filled that helps you um, contribute but to become a part of being a belonging person inside of the community? It removes you from being just part of the crowd but inside of the church. And I want to qualify that with one more reading from the scriptures. So, So in John 6, go ahead and turn there right now. John 6, this is what's going on. Jesus just fed the 5,000. Then Jesus, uh, uh, he teaches them some things. There's so much food that there's leftovers to take back. That's a better potluck than we had in college. But there's, this, uh, there, there's enough leftovers to take back. Jesus walks on water with Peter after that. He's actually trying to get away from the crowd. And then he goes across the sea. And this is where it picks up. In 6, 22 through 27, it says this. 
On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, listen to this, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Here's the question, why? Why are they seeking Jesus? This is the answer. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They were hungry, and out of God's grace, he fed them. If you remember, I don't remember exactly which one, but there's even times where the disciples are like, where are we going to find food? Like, look, just listen. The kid comes up. He offers up some food. Jesus makes uh, a little into much. And they're like, man, that was good. We have leftovers. I'm going to follow this guy around because tomorrow I want to get fed, and I'm going to have some leftovers. And then, heck, if he gets on a boat and goes across the Sea of Galilee, I'm going to get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee again because on the other side of that sea, I'm going to be hungry and he's going to feed me again. So Jesus, after this happens, he teaches on some really hard truths. After this happens, Jesus lets them know that if they want to be a part of the church, it is going to cost them something and ultimately Jesus has challenged them to move from being just a part of the crowd to actually, uh, that, that consumes, that just uh, uh, doesn't know how to belong, to saying, I want you to belong and become the church and begin contributing to this thing. You can't just come and continue to consume me over and over. In fact, what you want isn't even the right kind of bread, and he points them to the spiritual bread, but this is what happens eventually. You jump down to John six sixty six. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave, do you? He asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so we get both sides. Simon Peter holds it down. Where where, where am I gonna, I, I got nowhere. You are everything I have, Jesus. But then you see many turn away. And and so here's kind of where I want us to land today. If actually belonging means stepping out of the crowd so that you can contribute and actually belong, walking away could easily be the path of least resistance for you. If it requires something of you, be our guest for a time, but that the point that something is required from you to contribute, to be a part for your benefit and for our benefit, the path of least resistance is easiest just to say, I'll, I'll go use my trial time at the other church and I'll just consume there for a while. In our age, certain teachings like what Jesus did, they can separate us. Those who are actually part of the church might be separated out just by the teachings that we have. But in American materialistic kind of ways in which we want our time, talent, and treasure to be directed at ourselves, 
I think it's then that the moment that Jesus requires something from that of us is when we might just find out that we would rather be a part of the crowd and not belong to the church. We might just self-select because the path of least resistance is easy to walk down. And so the idea today is not a guilt trip. It's not to try to get you all to contribute um, in, in, um, in a way that says, well, I feel bad now. I got to do this. I got to pull out my wallet for this thing. I got to, you know, offer up my time over in this area. Do my diligence, you know, in this area. Mark that bo- box off so that I can say I've contributed The idea here is to understand that you're a part of the family. And man, when you get that locked in and it's working right, it's actually fun. You love it. Like you you, you can trust that this person's gonna do their part and I'm gonna do my part and we have this fully functioning thing that's operating on all cylinders and accomplishing some powerful kingdom things. And so here's where uh, my challenge here as as we finish up today. If you're a guest, please just be our guest. I I want you to hang out with no obligation for contribution. We are just glad that you're here. We're glad that you're seeking. We're glad that you've chosen us with your spiritual life to test that out. If you've walked away from church and you're just coming back, man, thank you for trusting us enough with that possibility that we could be your community. If you've never been to church before in your life, I was in your shoes. That's scary sometimes. So there's a time where it's just look, rest, check it out. Let the process of God's people just kind of love on you and be a guest. But if you've decided to make this your home, things kind of change in that situation. Relationally, if you're just consuming, my challenge is to find a way to contribute out of your time, talent, and treasure. Sometimes sacrificial like we talked about, sometimes out of your abundance, sometimes out of the wheelhouse in which you love to contribute. That's the thing I love doing. I love getting out in the sun and doing yard work. Well, good, we, we'll have a spring cleaning day <laughs> in the spring. Working with your hands. But there's also teams and things that we have um, here that you can join in and be a part of. The idea is that it would always be joyful even in the sacrificial times. Um, I wanna give one little caveat to what I'm challenging us to. Because the idea is like contribute a little more than you have been, you know? Like, like ask God where he wants you to be with your time, talent, and treasure in your relationship of belonging here at Common Ground. But like any organization, that 80-20 rule applies to the church and is often 20%, probably 10% of the people doing 90 or 80% of that work. And so if you, and, and there's no one here calling you out, if you in your heart, in your mind right now think, okay, If I'm honest, I'm a part of the 80% who probably just consumes more often than I contribute. Maybe not never, but if you identify that that's you, then here's your challenge to level up. Do it on the next greater level. But if you're the 20% or that 10% who maybe is taking on the burden of others and killing yourself and here more often than you should be, you might need to take a step back for your own health and space. All right, there is a time to do that. Now, usually it's the 80% person who's like, that's me. (laughs) I'm gonna back off. I got my Sabbath coming up. Be honest with yourself. Only you get to determine that and and you get to do that with you and God. Um, I've heard this, this is the last thing. I've heard that if every Christian tithed, um, and this could apply to talent and treasure or time, talent as well. 
if, um, uh, you know, how big of a thing could happen. So if everyone tithed on this earth, then we would eradicate poverty. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that I've seen when, some, when people lock in and start to offer up their gifts and talents, and you definitely accomplish more than you thought you could. I know that that's true. This is the way um, one church, as I looked at other churches using the gather, grow, give, go paradigm, they said it. We believe as we grow spiritually, a natural outflow of that will be to give financially or from our time or of our talents, our abilities, and our resources. We give because God gave. Our God is a giving and gracious God, and his children, he expects us to, and as his children, he expects us to reflect his image. In the same way that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the express image of the Father, Jesus led a giving lifestyle and expects the same for his followers. If we become known as a giving church, and I think there are areas where we do, the the Lawrence Township loves us for the ways that this community has given to them and that they can trust when something pops up, they come to us and it happens. But I think there's a generosity that we want to embrace as a giving kind of people that is, uh, you know, our model is Jesus who gave of himself and gave of himself and gave of himself for our benefit. So let's let Jesus be that model. Let's let him be that guide. Let's let him be the one that guides the conviction and not just because Pastor Eric said something from the front this morning, but let's move towards being contributors who belong to the church and not consumers that are just a part of the crowd on the outside. Would you follow him this day? Let's, let's pray together. Uh, so Father, thank you so much. Um, often, often this is a sermon that people avoid. And um, God, I, I, don't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to bother me the way that it bothers other people, Lord. But I just, um, in some way, shape, or form, God, correct it. If there's anything I said today that, that is not in conjunction with your scriptures, Lord, then um, change it. <laughs> Send an angel to disrupt the airwaves and change it before it reached their ears. But if there's some truth to this, God, and just embracing the idea of not giving out of obligation, but giving out of a sense of belonging, that we are a part of this and we own it together. And so we contribute, Lord. Would you just send conviction where conviction needs to happen? Send Sabbath and rest where Sabbath needs to happen, God. And ultimately, Father, could we do and accomplish greater things than we ever imagined because the collective time, talent, and treasure of this community that you have given us, Lord, can make a huge impact on the world around us, in the lives internally for those who might be in need as they have need. Mm. So prepare the way, Father. Come, Jesus. Let valleys and hills be lifted and mountains be brought low. Because when the kingdom comes, that's happening. So set our hearts right, Father. We love you. We ask for this right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Amen.